That's it. Bring it in. Bring it in. Almost there. Back it up. Back it up. Okay. Hold it. Alright, people. Let's get them hooked up. Alright, you're ready to go. Hope you got a permit. We've just hooked you up with a big load of midweek XJ Talk Show. Hey guys, we're back uh, with our uh, interview. Tonight we're going to have uh, Pierce, Vice President and General Manager of Jeep Jamboree USA. Pierce, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you, Tony. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. Well, Pierce, uh, as I uh, mentioned before we got started, I'd like to find out uh, for the audience and, and for myself, uh, a little bit more about the person. Uh, the I was looking on the uh, Jeep Jamboree uh, USA website and uh, trying to get some some information before I made the call, and I see that you're from uh, Williamstown, Massachusetts. Now I'm a Texas boy, and when I think of off road, I don't think of Massachusetts as off road. I mean, I'm sure there's beautiful places to go off road, but you know, you think of uh, uh, sedans and uh, Fine automobiles and lobsters. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, as we refer to it, is uh, Massachusetts, but Taxachusetts. Oh, yeah. There's tax rates there, but uh, but no, we, you know, it's not a a huge area for for uh, off road driving, you know. But but to introduce myself a little bit to the audience, I, I, how I got into this uh, was I was actually introduced. Um, my dad was a CPA, still is in, in Williamstown, and one of his clients. There's a woman by the name of Sue Mead, and Sue Mead um, is in the Off-Road Hall of Fame, and she's an automotive journalist, and I, uh, I was between high school. I was not the best student. I you know, was always wanting to be outside, not be locked into a classroom, and I was between. I'd gotten an early decision to a college in New York, and I decided to take a year off, and of course, my dad said, you're not hanging around the house. He said, I've, I've hooked you up with Sue Mead. You're going to like her camera gear around. A different event she's going to. So I said, all right, sounds good. So I, I started traveling with Sue, and I, believe it or not, the first event we went to was not even a car game. She had gotten a, a job to, to cover the extreme games down in uh, down in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, I did that, and then about a month later, I ended up at, at Camp Cheap in Camp Hill, Colorado in 1996. It was the second year they did Camp Cheap. And oh my gosh, and we're in the middle of the Colorado wilderness. I remember landing at night in the Denver. I'd never been east of the Mississippi and driving through the night. You know, I remember we were in a little four banger, you know, Wrangler going through the mountains, hitting the passes at fifth gear. You know, by the time you're at the top, you're in third gear struggling. I'm thinking, this is just odd, you know, this whole altitude thing. And I remember waking up the next morning and we were staying in Vail. Um, and, I remember waking up and looking at the mountains the next morning and driving down to where Camp Hale was, which was between Minturn and Leadville, Colorado, and rounding this corner to this, you know, sea of about 5,000 vehicles and just was thrown into this, this world of these nutcases who were crazy <laughs> about their vehicles, thinking, what the heck is this all about? So I covered the event with Sue and met a lot of wonderful people. Some of the people that I met there was the Smith family. I met uh, Jill Smith and Mark Smith, who uh, run Jeep Camber USA and, and Mark Smith Operating Incorporated. 
And Sue was a good friend of theirs, and you know, I'd stayed in touch with them uh, through the years and traveled to a number of jamborees and a number of other uh, Camp Jeep events throughout the about the next year, year and a half, and um, and met them and 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 told my mom and dad, said, you know, uh, East Coast isn't for me. I'm I'm heading to California, and of course they thought I was a little crazy. Uh, needless to say, but they, uh, you know, they sent me on my way, and I I, I you know finished my college out in California, and uh, in the meantime was working at the Jeep Jamboree offices, uh, doing everything from reviewing surveys to you know emptying the garbage, and you know 14 years later. Beyond the vice president and general manager of the organization, but uh, it's uh, it's been a fantastic journey so far, and we're just you know I think we're just scratching the surface on the adventures that are still to come. So, well, that's great. I wonder if your dad had any idea what he was getting you into whenever he uh, he thought he was going to uh, you know keep you from being a slacker at home. I know. Well, the funny thing was, you know, Mark Smith. A little story about Mark, who founded this organization. He founded it back in 1953 over the Rubicon Trail, and it was the first, you know, Mark, I was talking just the other day, that we had a sponsor of ours who was wanting to recommend Mark to an Off-Road Hall of Fame to, to SEMA, and they said, you know, has he made any contributions into this world of automotive world? And one of the contributions he's made is the Rubicon Trail, and we can get into that a little later, is the Rubicon Trail wouldn't be around today if it weren't for, for Mark Smith, and, and I'll explain that a little later, but my dad, Mark has always been known for his extravagant um, kind of stunts that he pulls on the Rubicon Trail every year, and whether it's a set of, you know, eight ten fighters, you know, flying over A6 fighters or flying in a marching band to Rubicon Springs. But the thing we do every year on Rubicon is we fly in a baby grand piano. In the middle of nowhere when our clients are camping out and there's somebody playing the piano, well, my dad happened to be at his office one day and he had a client who had been out in Lake Tahoe ATVing uh, on the Rubicon Trail. He came back, he's sitting in my dad's office, and he said, you won't believe it. He said, there's this crazy SOB out there. There's a story of a guy flying their grand piano every year into the Rubicon. And my dad said, holy smokes, I know this guy. My son works for him. You know, so it started to, you know, it, at that point as well, my mom and dad really, of course, we didn't know anything about this jeeping world and the, and the jeep community, but, you know, my dad now owns the Grand Cherokee. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's looking at the diesel saying, you know, if I could buy one more car, <laughs> what would it be? So he's eyeballing this new diesel that just came out, and we'll see what happens. So turning them, turn, turning my family members slowly by slowly, you know, brother-in-law and father working on everybody else. <laughs> That's great. Now, I have to ask, they get the, uh, they get the baby grand in uh, by helicopter, I'm assuming. We do. We fly it in the helicopter. We put a long line on the helicopter and we strap this baby grand. Uh, we usually either put it in a net or put straps around it. Yeah. Uh, the old pictures we have that are, you know, legs and all, the three legs of the piano hanging down, the helicopter slowly coming into camp. So it's a, it's a great sight, and there's nothing uh, better than somebody playing the piano when you've had eight, eight hours of uh, straight off-road driving. You're, you know, coming into the Rubicon Trail and you're hearing some... Uh, some kind of soft music. You kind of need that uh, kind of kind of wind down after a, after a day like that on the Rubicon Trail. I tell you what, that's just really amazing and and very very classy. Now, is the piano? Does that piano belong to somebody or is it a rental? No, well, here there's a great story behind this. We own the piano now, but <laughs> you know, years ago when Mark first did this, he went around to all these different rental agencies and he said. I'd like to rent a piano and fly it in a helicopter. And everybody said, you're nuts. We're not giving you a piano to fly in a helicopter. So 
he finally found a guy in Reno, Nevada, who said, here's the deal. I want a picture of this thing going into Rubicon, and I want the, I want the rights to the pictures afterwards. And he said, because I'm going to put, and, and what he did is he took the pictures afterwards, and, he, and, and the Reno paper, he had the picture of the helicopter and the piano, and, he, and, and his advertisement was, we deliver anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so the guy got a lot of, out of it, but after that, it just became synonymous with the, with the event that you're in the middle of nowhere and there's a baby grand piano and somebody playing it. And it's, it's great. It's just, it, 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 Rubicon is over the top. It is, when we talk about off-road trails, it's over the top in terms of difficulty rating. And we have many people who come to us around the country and say, well, I have a trail that is as difficult as the Rubicon, if not difficult, or an obstacle. And we say, no, there's no doubt. Ops, absolutely. You probably have an obstacle that's more challenging than the Rubicon Trail. But it's not 17 and a half miles of trail, where by the time you get into base camp, the first seven and a half miles of the Rubicon Trail take nine hours to drive in a stock wrangler. And you are just beaten. Your soul is beaten. You know, when you get out of the vehicle, you think, if I never see another rock or dust for the rest of my life, I will be okay with that. Uh, but, you know, you wake up the next morning, you really appreciate what the vehicle is capable of, and then you complete the remainder of the trail. And the truth of the matter is, when you get a when you get when you finish the Rubicon Trail, there's a huge sense of accomplishment because it's not like you can all of a sudden break down and call a tow truck. I mean, you are in the middle of nowhere. The only way to access that trail is by Jeep four by four, by walking it. If you have an ATV or if you have a helicopter, and that's about it. And the funny thing is, it takes nine hours to get to camp. You can walk it in about four, or you can get there on a helicopter in four and a half minutes. To give you an idea of the, the terrain you're covering, so that's why we use a helicopter out there to support all of our operations for medical needs, for food, for entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, this camp we have though is quite special. So, now I've known about uh, Jeep Jamboree for a number of years. Uh, actually, I think I may have even received something shortly after we bought our 1998 uh, Jeep Cherokee. Um, and, uh, I've, I've seen stuff online, but I have to admit, I don't know a lot about it. So I'm probably going to ask you a lot of basic questions, which is probably good for our, for our audience. Um, no, no, that, no that, yeah, that's great. No, I, I absolutely had no idea about the, the, the baby grand uh, piano being flown in. That is this brilliant marketing. It's, that's wonderful. But, um, tell me some more about, uh, I don't really understand how the mechanism works. I mean, you guys, uh, set up these trail rides is there any kind of uh, training or, or is there any kind of process that somebody has to go through before they, they can go out on one of these things? How does the process work? Sure. So I'll give, I'll give the, the audience and, and, and yourself a background of this. So Jeep Jamboree program uh, is designed for Jeep owners who want to kind of go out on a Jeep adventure. And the truth is, so what we have is with 30 events nationwide, and the events themselves start in March. And actually, this weekend uh, is the start of our 2013 season. Uh, this weekend, we have an event in Texas, in Lano, Texas, outside of Austin. And then we have one in Hamilton, New Jersey, outside of Philadelphia. So these two events are the kind of kickoff for the season. With 30 of these events nationwide, and how it works is you know, at many of these events, what we have is a variety of trail rides. So we have trails that are that are some jamborees are scenic. There's some that are intermediate and some that are more challenging for the more modified uh, Jeep 4x4s. 
33% of our participant base has never been off-roading before. So this year alone, we will have 33%, roughly, 33% of the people who have never taken their vehicle off-road. And, and that is just fantastic. We love it because there's nothing better than seeing a new Jeep owner or somebody who's may purchase a used Jeep but have never, has never owned a Jeep before. And they come to the Jamborees, and they come to the Jamborees because there's a number of components that make this really um, attractive for the first time. One is that all of the trail rides that we, we do across the, the country are guided, which means we have trail guides in the front of the trail, we have them in the middle of the trail, and we usually have them at the end of the trail. So everybody's kept in a group. And the group size varies based on how popular the one trail is or whatnot. But if you have a jamboree of 100 vehicles, they don't have seven different trail options at a spe- specific event that are offered of all different varieties of difficulty ratings. So that you, when you get on site, so you register with us ahead of time, either online or over the phone, and our website for those user, viewers who want to check it out is jamboreeusa.com. You can search us online. You'll find our Facebook account or our website. But you can, you can look at all the trips online that are, that, are, that are all over the country, and they start in March and they end in November. So we have a, a wide variety of time frame. To, to join us on these events. And they're all the way, they start in Maine and come all the way across the United States, all the way to, to uh, California. Um, but what happens is you register online, you pay your registration fee, and then what happens is you get an itinerary for the event, and you can start reading about more detailed trails that are offered at that particular jamboree. And then when the individuals show up, there's an on-site registration. So last night, both in Texas and Lano and Hamilton, all the participants arrived at the event. They checked in with our staff. They received their credentials for the event. Their vehicle was gone through a check process with the trail guides. They're also gone through a participant profile. So we can help match the individual and the vehicle that they're driving to the proper trail that's going to best suit them for the weekend. And then what happens is they get signed to those trails. They sign up to, for specific trails that weekend. And then Friday morning, everybody arrives. Uh, for breakfast at, at most of the events, some of the events only include dinners. We tried to reduce the price on some of those events for the offerings for people with a more limited budget. And for the most part, everybody gathers in the morning for a general attendance meeting. They have a safety briefing. We, you know, everybody, again, it gets introduced to their trail crew, their trail guides for the weekend. And then everybody's off uh, on their, they, they head out in the individual groups. Um, they're out there on the guided where there's difficult areas. We have trail guides or spotters out there to help them over those uh, obstacles to encourage them over. And then they have lunch out on the trail. And then in the evening, they're back at home base, wherever that home base may be. Uh, in Lano, for instance, is the convention center, the Lano Convention Center. Um, and they get back together. They share stories. They share videos. They share photos. And then they have dinner together. And this is a really important bonding time with the trail guides and the participants to talk about the day's activities, share stories, share you know, the experiences they had out there, and then they repeat that on Saturday. So there's two days. And then they do a different trail ride on Saturday than they do Friday, so it's not the same trail. And then on Sunday, they're free to depart. So on Saturday night, we have a great prize drawing. We have a wonderful group of sponsors, everyone from Falcon Tires to... Super Winch, and Super Winch gives away a free winch at every one of our events. So you, you have the opportunity 
to win some fantastic prizes um, at the Jamborees as well on, on Saturday evening. And then the Sunday you go home, you have a day to kind of get home. But that's, that's the, the Jamboree structure uh, in a nutshell. So how do you guys uh, handle the, uh, the dreaded drinking on the trail? Oh, just a lot of it. Drink, drink a lot. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, the, there is, drinking on the trail, alcohol substances are completely banned from jamborees. Good. Um, we have a very stringent policy. You know, one of my, my personal um, kind of beefs with this industry as a whole is that uh, people don't res- respect it as the sport that it is. And, and the problem that, that we end up having in this industry is you have a few bad apples um, uh, creating a, a, a bad name for the entire user group, which just isn't true. And, you know, we believe drinking and driving don't mix. Uh, we don't allow it. And our strict policy is if you're caught on the trail with any alcoholic substances in your cooler, in your vehicle, in possession, you're banned from Jeep Jamborees for life, period. We don't take it. It's, it's too much of a risk for us as a business to have somebody out there drinking. So uh, in the waiver that people sign, it says they, have, they will have no alcoholic beverages in their vehicle at all times. So firearms in their vehicles, so sirens, so fireworks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is about, the jamborees are about really life-changing adventures. They're about taking an individual out into America's backcountry and having an experience that is unlike anything they'd have an experience on their own. And what typically happens is people get back and the stories they write us are just that, they never thought that not only could their vehicle do it, but could were they capable of doing it. So it's a really enriching experience for somebody. And that's what we try to uphold. So our standards are very high, very high when it comes to, uh, when it comes to what's allowed, what's not allowed. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that we, uh, we tout out on the trails is the Tread Lightly uh, principles. And we're one of the founding members of the Tread Lightly organization. It's something not only do we practice we try to educate all of our participants on because the more users that are out on public or private land doing it properly are creating the positive impact of this industry. And that's what we want to leave behind. Yep. We don't want to ruin it for future generations. Yeah. I think you see the direction I'm going here with uh, the question about alcohol, because I think we've all experienced, uh, uh, maybe not you, but, uh, uh, I think all of us that have gone off road have experienced the the bad apples, the ones that are out there drinking and uh, acting uh, the ass, and uh, basically, like you say, ruining it for everybody else, trashing the place or tearing things up, uh, damaging the trees, uh, etc. So I was uh, I was concerned about how you guys handle that, and it sounds like you handle it uh, very strictly and uh, uh, send out a very clear signal. Um, it really makes yeah. makes the trail really bad whenever you're having to put up with people. Uh, it's like people using cell phones in movie theaters. You know, bad manners is never appreciated. So, never appreciated. Yeah. So, and the truth of the matter is, every group, I think the, the problem that we run into as a, as a user group is we are a highly targeted audience. We, we, and the problem is we, we are our own worst enemy. When We have seen it time and time again where somebody goes out and they roll their Jeep vehicle off the designated route or roll it, period, and they post it online. And they brag about it. Right. And you're going, really? Because all the environmental groups need is pictures like that to say, this is why they shouldn't be allowed out there. They're a bunch of drunk, no good hillbillies. <laughs> and this is what they do to the environment. And the truth of the matter is, it only takes a few of those pictures to get spread around the Internet to say, you know what? 
you're right, because I don't have anything else to back it up except for that's not true. And at, at the end of the day, it's tough to say my word is against yours when they're showing somebody at the Forest Service of the BLM and they're saying, here's a picture of it. I'll prove it to you. And so we are our own worst enemies in that. And the truth of the matter is we need to clean up that act. I don't care if it's on public or private land or somebody goes, well, it's on my land. Well, the individual viewing that doesn't know it's on private land. Yeah, there's so many so, so many people out there that don't know, don't understand, because, and they don't care to know. They just want to complain or use it as cannon yeah. fodder. Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, we're big proponents. I would love to see the Forest Service and BLM implement a $2,500 fine for going off the trail. The problem is I've talked with Forest Service about this in BLM, and there's just not enough enforcement to be able to enforce it. We said, look, and, and, I'll, and I'll make a great example of this. It, it's, it's as if the, the problem that I see with Forest Service and BLM is that the policies don't make any sense because they say, well, we're going to shut the trails down because people go off the designated route. That would be like saying, well, we're going to shut the highways down because people are speeding. It doesn't make any sense. You can't, you can't viably enforce that. Um, and, and the furthermore, you, I mean, if that's the excuse, you know, every time somebody breaks a law for you know, driving over the speed limit or you know, the little infractions that we, all of us do on a daily basis, you'd shut so much of this world down. Of course. You know, and so the truth of the matter is there has to be a solution to it. And the solution isn't trail closures. The solution is enforcement, education. Yeah, and those are the things that I think change the way the outcome for for a lot of us. Well, I think uh, I don't want to get too far into this, but uh, I think the environmentalists just look at it as um, people or or things that tear or or things that tear other things up, and if they don't go there, then it will be good. It will be all. It will yeah. be beautiful and pristine, and that's not a um, that's not a good alternative. Uh, that's not a good balance. You know, we should be able to have a balance so that we can all <clears throat> make use of uh, of this planet uh, to the the like uh, of everybody. Um, so anyway, I agree. The, uh, I was just quoted in Aspen Aspen Times the other day for calling a bunch of environmentalists hypocrites, which went over well <laughs> with some people and not other not well with others. Yeah. But you know, the truth of the matter is, what I what I hate more than anything is that somebody driving a Toyota Prius who has a coexist bumper sticker on the back of their their vehicle. When you really, you don't really want to coexist with an off-roader on public trails, do you? No, no. And no. so, yeah, I have a hard time with that. I also have a hard time with, you know, that anybody who drives a Toyota Prius for that matter, only because uh, Time Magazine did a great expose on hybrid vehicles, and they they said that you have to own a Toyota Prius and drive it for a minimum of ten years before it's greener than an H1 Humvee, because all the parts are built. For all over the world then shipped into an assembly plant. And so the carbon footprint of that alone is so much more than what the Humvee uh, used to have. So, you know, a lot, I, I, you know, I hope that people just educate themselves on what they're purchasing before making a claim to something. Well, there's education and then there's feeling good about yourself. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid too many of these things just fall under the heading of feeling good about yourself. And one of the reasons yeah, why, yeah. I, one of the reasons I drive a Jeep is I wanted to, damn it. <laughs> I wanted to be able yeah, to go where right. I wanted to go. <laughs> I'm not trying well, to... I have a friend. I have a, I have a friend right now who's traveling around the country introducing the Nissan Leaf. And people think, well, this Nissan Leaf, it's an electrical ve- electric vehicle. Wonderful. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's great. He goes, unless your power comes from a coal plant, you know, if you're plugging that vehicle in at home and your power comes from a coal plant, that vehicle's not very green at all, he said. So, you know, 
I mean, you know, it's it's all you know. One of the best green vehicles out there right now is the Volkswagen clean diesel Jetta, like fifty two miles to the gallon. Great yeah. vehicle. Uh, even Jeep's making diesels now. I mean, you look at the new two thousand fourteen Grand Cherokee. You can get seven hundred and thirty miles per tank on this vehicle. Thirty miles to the gallon. I mean, you know, the efficiencies in these engines are kind of going through the roof. So it, you can find a lot better. I mean, that's ten miles short of a Prius. You know, so I mean, and you get a cheap vehicle. Yeah, ex- exactly. I'm hoping they're gonna. Uh, we've been reporting on on that to uh, to the audience here over the last several weeks, and very impressive things coming out of Jeep. I'm just hoping they're going to uh, talk about that being in the Wrangler soon, the JK. I think we all hope that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Especially with those torque numbers they're talking about. Um, but uh, I was going to I was going to ask you, getting back to the uh, the people that. Uh, our uh, Jeep Jamboree USA uh, members uh, that go out on the trails. About what age groups would you say that you're getting out there? The is it is it the whole wide range, or <clears throat> is it more older adults well, it, or younger? It, no, it is. We. This is what's great about the Jeep Jamboree programs. Our average age is like 39.7 years of age, but we have retired Superior Court and Federal Court judges. We have you know mechanics. We have this wide of doctors and accountants and, you know, I mean, you know, chairlift operators. And, you know, I mean, we have the broadest audience of people. And what I love about it is that there is no stereotypes when you come to a jamboree. People are there to bond over the Jeep vehicle and the performance of that vehicle. And there's a certain type of individual that goes out to these events. And it doesn't matter who you are in a walk of life. All of that is completely erased. And you bond with people because of the vehicle you have or what you just accomplished. And it doesn't matter if you were 18 years of age and you've just come on your first jamboree or whether or not you're 70 or 80 years of age and you're driving because you're retired and this is your everyday driver and this is what you love to do. We have such a broad audience out there and it's just phenomenal to see the diversity at jamborees um that brought up another question do you have an age limit um is there a minimum age no actually we have um as long as you can be strapped into the vehicle safely we actually have uh, we have uh, a couple who brought out their young child that was probably two years of age and had him in the car seat with them and they just had a ball and the, the, the baby in the back was just having a ball you know, smiling along the trail. So as long as they can be strapped in safely, uh, that is our only concern. And as long as that uh, can be met, that standard can be met, then they're welcome to come to the Jamboree. And as far as uh, the, the driver of the Jeep, is there a minimum age for that? Uh, well, you have to have a valid driver's license. Now, if you're in the vehicle and you're 16 or 17 years of age and you have a valid driver's license, you need to be in the vehicle with an adult of 18 years uh, of age or, or older who is your guardian. So if, uh, so if a father is bringing his son, the son can drive as long as he has a valid driver's license. The father or mother or the legal guardian just needs to be in the vehicle with that individual. Excellent. Okay, good. Well, this sounds like a, a real family uh, situation. So it uh, that sounds like oh, it has a, a wide appeal. Some of the appeal. events, we have 70 children. That's going to be uh, noisy. <laughs> yeah. Noisy, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, noisy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know mine are, so uh, I can imagine. 70 would be fun. 
Um, so uh, on these campouts, now, do you actually bring a tent? or Is there accommodations, or does it just depend on the trail that you're going on? Well, it depends a little bit on the jamboree. Now, one of the things that we do not cover as a part of the registration fee is lodging, because people have very different, um, uh, you know, standards and needs and so on and so forth. So in the trip itineraries or the event schedules for all these, we list all the accommodations in the area, everything from an RV campsite to where you can tent camp to a bed and breakfast to a motel or hotel to a, a five-star inn if there is one available. So we list everything, and people stay where they'd like. Now, at many of these locations, we have a headquartered hotel. For instance, at the Laurel Highlands Jeep Cambry, we have the Nemecolans Resort, this beautiful resort, and a lot of people stay there only because everything is on site. Now, I can tell you in Texas, people are camping out. We have an RV, uh, we have an RV kind of grounds that are completely full with people who have brought in their RVs. We have people camping. We have people staying at the local local motels and inns and B&Bs. So people stay, scatter wherever, and they come in for the, the daily activities. Now, two events in particular that you need to be just be mindful of is actually three, is Paladuro, where you can camp in the canyon, Arch Canyon, where you camp one night out on the trails, and Rubicon is mandatory two nights camping. So those events, you will need to bring your, your tent, your cot, your sleeping bag, and all your camping gear with you. So uh, I probably know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask, what is the, uh, the majority of the Jeeps that are out there? What model? The majority is right now the JK model. And it's made a transition over the past few years as the JK model has been out. It used to be the TJ was the number one vehicle. But in terms of Wrangler itself, Wrangler makes up for probably 93 to 95% of the vehicles at Jamborees. And that varies between two-door and, two, uh, two-door and four-door models. We're seeing the four-door models becoming very popular with families. You have a, a husband and wife, and you have a few kids, and you know they want the Jeep vehicle in the family. Uh, the husband or the wife maybe had one before in a past relationship, but when they got married, they had to get rid of it. Well, now the four-door model gives them a perfect excuse to own a Jeep uh, and to go out of Jamboree. So it's great to see that. But we still have a few of the Grand Cherokee models, older model Grand Cherokees. We have a fair amount of Cherokees that still come, the old model Cherokee. Uh, occasionally we'll have a Grand Wagoneer, and we'll have a small mileage of the Liberties that came out. Um, that are slightly modified at, at events. But there's no doubt the majority of the uh, vehicles that attend are Wranglers. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Uh, and, of course, uh, our forum and this show being based on the, the Cherokees, we're always interested in, in hearing about those. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. Which uh, which model that you've seen at these jamborees have the hardest time with the trails? Well, the Compass and Patriot, we've had a few of them out at jamborees where the trails are not uh, technically challenging. But the problem is they run into a, uh, with the, the transmission that's in those, if you hit a steep grade, they just won't, it's not really a gearbox, they won't grab a gear and just be able to go up it. So they, they have a hard time, particularly at altitude. You know, any vehicle with a with a with a low with a low ground clearance or departure or uh, um, angles that are that are an issue tend to have a, a difficult time. There's no doubt the Wranglers, you know, because of the ground clearance, because of the uh, approach and departure angle, tend to fend easier. Sure. Now, so, would you say? That, I mean, we can talk about Cherokee too, because we know Jeeps coming out with a new Cherokee. Uh, okay. 
it's not really it's not it's not really a Cherokee. What's this? I'll give you my opinion on that in a minute. Okay. But uh, anyway, what I was going to say next is, uh, so it it sounds like you have a a, a fair mix of stock uh, jeeps out there. We do, we do, and and what we're noting this is we had a big conference on this just recently with all of our coordinators. We're flown into one destination. We we kind of brainstormed some of the changes that we've seen we've seen over the last few years at the Jamboree program. And what's interesting is we do see you know, a fair amount of stock vehicles that attend. But what we're noticing more than, than anything else is that individuals are buying the vehicle stock, they're modifying them with bigger tires, a lift kit, bumpers, and a winch, even before they take them off-road. And so we're having this, this mix of individuals who are coming to the event with a vehicle that is capable of doing just about anything, but the driver is a little limited in their ability and experience. So we're having just a challenge of ensuring that we're, we're matching the vehicle and the driver ability to an appropriate trail. But there's no doubt we do have a, a fair amount of uh, stock vehicles that come to these. You know, the new Rubicons and the, and the, the X models and Sahara models, they do show up at events and they have a really good time. I was really surprised to hear that Compass uh, uh, and the uh, the other one you mentioned, the, uh, the Patriot, yeah, I yeah. was really amazed to hear that there's that there those are out there. Uh, my audience knows uh, very well that anything that my personal opinion is anything that doesn't have a, a front axle isn't a Jeep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know everybody has a different opinion on that. I will tell you that that when I say we've had them out there, we probably had a handful that you can count on one hand. Out of out of three thousand, four thousand, thirty three hundred vehicles a year, I think is what we put through. We've had about five a year. And they go to jamborees like Uray, uh, where it's where it's much more scenic routes than anything. It's not the more challenging routes that are out there. It's the jamboree program is unfortunately not really conducive to that type of audience. Yeah, no, I understand, and it's great that you include those people and just don't say nope, sorry, you can't, uh, you can't do it. That you try to accommodate them. That's that's wonderful. That's what we do on XJTalk.com. Yeah, yeah, that's what we yeah. what we try to do is include everybody that wants to be included. Now. Um, the thing I was going to ask you about is how do you determine the driver's ability and balance that with the vehicle's ability? The vehicle ability, I can see, you know, anybody that's knowledgeable about Jeeps and, and off-road, you can pretty much look and inspect and see what that thing's capable of. But the, the individual would be a much harder thing to determine. It is. So what we do is we do a participant profile. And the participant profiles, when we ask them on site, when they arrive at the event, we ask them about their experience. The first question we ask them is, have they been on another jamboree? And if the question is yes, we ask them what jamborees they've been on. And that gives us a good determination. If somebody says, I've been on Rubicon and Moab and Arch Canyon and Texas Spur, we know that those jamborees are typically more challenging and that they've had some decent experience. If they say no, we ask them what experiences they've had in the vehicle that they're driving. And most people are honest. You know, Jeep owners themselves are not people who just get out and lie to your face. They're pretty honest. If you ask them one-on-one what type of experience they've had, a lot of times they'll just say, well, I haven't had any. And then we know to, you know, the vehicle might be capable of a difficult trail. Their profile might be, their particular profile might be good of a scenic trail, but we try to match them with maybe an intermediate trail. That gives them enough opportunity to push themselves a little bit more 
to test themselves out a little bit and really kind of test the capabilities of the vehicle that they're, they're bringing out with us. So let me ask you this. If you, if you have uh, inexperienced people and you know they're inexperienced and you have them on a trail, uh, I'm assuming that the, the trail is can be mud, it can be rocks, it can be anything, uh, logs even. How do they get over those obstacles? Is there somebody from your team that are there to help and guide and direct them over the, the difficult obst- obstacles? Because, you know, there's going to be some people that just have, have never done it before and uh, they're really concerned about flipping their vehicle. Yeah, and that's why the trail guides are there. The trail guides don't leave the trail, but at, at obstacles where we feel it's critically important to have an in- individual there for safety concerns. You know, it's one thing if you just have a deep mud puddle and you're, you're driving through it and it's muddy and there's some rocks out there. Those are, those are the challenges that you should learn, um, you know, by just doing. But there are other obstacles out there where there's a safety concern, and we want to ensure that somebody's there to talk to the individual before they do it. And that's when the trail guide would get out or the spotter would get out of the vehicle and position themselves there and make sure everybody makes sure that obstacle safely. Excellent, because I could see how and that... And the great thing is we have, well, we have CB radios, and we recommend it to everybody so they can talk to the trail guides and what I love about Jamboree is, is that other participants get out immediately and start assisting the, the other participant if they need help. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful group of camaraderie where they all come together and assist each other. And it's a great bonding experience for people. Oh, I'm sure. And I, I'm sure it's a great uh, confidence builder, too, especially about uh, taking uh, their Jeep. And I'm sure a lot of them are surprised about how capable the, the stock Jeeps are. Um, the, I know the Cherokees are that way, and I, I suspect the... The JKs are the are the same way. Yeah. Now, yeah, very much. You get a stock Rubicon Wrangler. It's, it, we drive the stock Rubicon Wranglers over the Rubicon Trail, so they're very capable. So now, uh, you were you were mentioning a while ago about the new Jeep Cherokee, and you were going to mention your comments about that. What? Uh, give me your comments. Let's see how they how well they mesh with uh, with me and the audience. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, I think that from first impression. Die-hard Cherokee owners have looked at this vehicle and said, what the heck are you doing? You know, and I, from Jeep's point of view, it's a very difficult position to be in to introduce a nameplate again and have the vehicle look like the way it does because it's not the old boxy Cherokee. Now, to Jeep's defense, I'll say a few things. One is that the, the, the National Highway Safety Administration will not allow them to build the vehicle that we, we all loved years ago. They have so many different standards and safety standards of the vehicle that they just can't build around the same platform that they did. So they have those restrictions that they're up against. But I'll tell you this. We were very skeptical getting into the vehicle. We've driven the vehicle twice now, I believe, um, out in Texas on some pretty difficult trails and the vehicle is much more capable than we thought it would be and we were very impressed um we have the opportunity over the next few months to test drive this over some much more rugged terrain and i'm sure at some point we'll be testing this on the rubicon trail itself um but i have to say we were the biggest skeptics of it we saw it and we went oh my gosh uh, this is going to be hard for the, uh, the, the the diehard jeepers to to kind of accept. But when we took it off road, we were really quite pleased to see what Jeep had developed in this vehicle. So I would uh, my only advice to people is 
reserve judgment until you have the opportunity to get into it. We haven't had ample time in, the, in it yet, so I really can't give a thorough review. The only thing I can say is in the, the limited time we did spend in it on some pretty decent off-road trails in Texas, we were really impressed. And the, not just myself, but the entire crew was talking about it, saying, we've got the vehicle capable, but we were pretty shocked at what we saw. Now, I'll be clear about this. I don't have a problem with Jeep coming out with something, and I don't have a problem with them trying to make money. And, you know, God bless them. That's the, the American way. Yeah. Uh, but somebody uh, somebody had to say uh, when they looked at this before it was even built or, or, or even modeled in clay <laughs> that this that this isn't going to fly very well with the, with the Cherokee name on it because now if it's gra- if it's Grand Cherokee sure because they've been making those things uh, look like uh, yuppie vehicles for for years and years but the yeah. the the Cherokee itself is more like the the TJ and the the YJ before it, it's it's a boxy utility vehicle, and even the JK is, is still boxy. So, you know, yeah. I don't think I think it's great. Just don't call it a Cherokee because as a Cher- longtime Cherokee owner and multiple Cherokee owner, it offends me. But you know, God bless you. Make as much money as you possibly can. Stay in business. I, I want you to stay in business for a very long time. Well, it's interesting. I think I mean the response we've had by doing just some testing on some groups is we introduced the images to our Facebook fan page. And pretty much every comment was, this thing is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Now, you introduce it to an audience that's never owned a Jeep vehicle before, and they think it's a really beautiful vehicle. It's really nice, great lines on it. So you have a very different demographic. And I understand that Jeeps try to go after an audience that they haven't had before as well. Like you said, that's where they have to go to the demographic in order to stay alive in terms of a company. But uh, in terms of off-road capability, you know, I can't speak much on styling. But, you know, I can speak about the offer capability, and I can tell you that we were really surprised at what the vehicle is capable of. Well, and, you know, initially we thought, well, you know, this is probably not going to have the same capabilities as the Grand Cherokee or whatnot, and we were we were pretty shocked. So well, that's, that's great to know, and it's also neat to know that you've actually ridden in one because all we've done is uh, we've just researched it and reported on it. We haven't seen one outside of the Internet. So it's great that uh, yeah. you, that you have that information that you can share with us. That's uh, good to know. And like I said, I'm sure it's going to be a capable well, vehicle. Yeah, and hopefully in the next few months, after it's released at the New York Auto Show, I know we're going to have more seat time in the vehicle as we're looking to do a, a launch for the vehicle. And maybe we can share with you some more uh, some more details of the off-road capability. Oh, that'd be great, because we still like to know about it. it it's, the, it's the Jeep Cherokee that you love to hate at this point. So <laughs> it's, it's, an uphill, know, uphill, it's an uphill road, but maybe they'll make it. Um, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll just say, say this real quick to to be in all fairness. Uh, if you were if you saw a Jeep Cherokee, the one that they made from from eighty four to two thousand one, the first time you saw that, more than likely you said, "Oh my God, what an ugly piece of you know." Yeah. <laughs> and sure. it, it was the it was the getting the Jeep Cherokee or or riding in one and learning about it. And it getting you from point A to point B, and it, that point A to point B might be a straight line going through anything. That's the that's the thing that makes you love it. So this new Jeep, yeah. this new Jeep Jeep Cherokee, if it's capable and it gets you from point A to point B over any obstacle, then it's going to have its own audience loving it too. But but as a, a longtime Cherokee owner, obviously it's going to be it's going to be offensive because it looks nothing like the baby you love. You know, so true. When I had my first, I had my first experience in a Jeep Cherokee. It was my first aha Jeep experience. I was in the Pocono Mountains 
of Pennsylvania driving with Sue Mead, who again got me my start in this industry, and I was driving her on this trail, and we were in a riverbed, and we had to get out of this riverbed at an angle and kind of go through two trees. And oh my gosh, if we didn't go up this thing and, and end up missing the trees by an inch on each side and coming out the top. And I remember that experience that I think every Jeep owner has when they go off-road. They have that, that amazing experience where they sit back and they go, There's, I can't believe what I just did. <laughs> and I had my, it was a white Cherokee classic. I remember it, you know, gray wheels on it. And I remember vividly that that was my first big moment with a Jeep vehicle. I went, this is not just an ordinary sport utility vehicle. Yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing thing. And like I said earlier, stock they are just amazing uh, we have several members that uh have taken it off road we we went uh, went recently on an off-road event and uh, this guy had basically a stock vehicle and he was following along six and a half inch lifted uh 33 inch tired uh, vehicles and uh you know those when there was a bypass available he usually took it because you don't want to go through uh, anything that's real deep because of the ground clearance issues but other than that he was going everywhere the the big boys went so to speak so yeah, yeah it's it's, yeah, a, it's an amazing vehicle, vehicle. Yeah, it really is. Now, we also call that the, the the surgical removing of the cushion from your butt after you go through something like that <laughs> because it's grabbing that yeah. cushion so tight. <laughs> I think yeah. we've all been in that surgery room before. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, well, great. I guess the, the thing that I'm taking away from this interview more than anything else was uh, whenever I knew uh, first knew about the Jeep Jamboree thing, I thought it was at one location. And I don't know if that's the way it used to be a long time ago, or I was just uh, wrong in my assumption. But I like hearing this, that it's all over, that you have uh, these jamborees at various places, especially in Austin, because Austin's close to me. And that doesn't require as much of a of time off and effort to get to it. So uh, that's really good to know. So uh, how many of those do you have around the country, and do you spread them out so that you can include more people uh, across the country? Well, we do. We have sorry, 30 nationwide and they like i said earlier they start from march and go through november so if you look at the calendar of events on our website you can go to jeepjamboreeusa.com and click on jeep trips and it pulls up an entire map of the, the jeep events we have nationwide and right below it if you click on view by list it lists them from chronological order from the beginning of the year to the end but it's it, the events themselves are just spectacular, I have to say. I don't mean to be biased on this, but we do a very good job connecting with the participants, ensuring that they are, have a safe, fun time with their families. And, you know, we have 56% of our, our clientele's repeats of the sport. So they come back again. 99% of the people say they'd not only come back to the same jamboree, they'd recommend it to a friend. So we have a we have, really have a great rapport with this audience, and um, it's so much fun watching out there. And some of these trips that do sell out quickly, and I have to mention Texas Spur and Pine Barrens are both sold out. But the Catskill Mount, Mountains Jeep Jamboree sells out when we open registration December first every year. When registration opens for the following year, Catskill sold out in 22 minutes. Maine Mountains in 44 minutes. <laughs> uh, Killington, sorry, in 44 minutes. Maine Mountains in 55 minutes. I think it was Cole Mountains in an hour and five minutes. Penn's Woods followed, I think, a day or two after. So these events are very, very popular, and you do have to get to them quite early. Now, I know that uh, I know that some parts of the country, uh, after November, it's going to be difficult because of the snow, but there, there certainly are like places down in Texas where you really don't have that situation. 
Uh, I know there's holidays around that time, but I'm a little surprised you guys don't have anything between uh, January and March. Well, it's for us, it's a real time to regroup. And the problem also is that the weather around the country is so unpredictable. If we have a big snowstorm, a big rainstorm somewhere, it can shut the trails down. And depending on how bad that is, it's not that the vehicles aren't capable of it, but we're very cautious about environmental damage that we can do out there on public land. So we just try to be cautious of that, but it's a time for us to kind of regroup our systems back to the office. Registration opens December 1st, so we're kind of gearing up for the first event. And we try to pack this in the best months of the season. So a lot of these weekends are double weekends. We have two jamborees like this weekend in two different parts of the country. Okay. Okay. That sounds. Yeah, I figured if you're having 30 in, in uh, less than 12 months, there's going to be a lot of busy people uh, at Jeep Jamboree. There's, there's a lot of busy people. Now, now I know it just depends on, on the uh, – I'm sure it depends on where you're going, uh, which Jeep Jamboree you're going, but can you give me a price range uh, uh, between the, the high and the low? Sure. So the, the price range is anywhere between the hundred and I'm uh, sorry, I think it's two hundred and five dollars for an adult uh, individual to about three hundred ninety five dollars for the Rubicon Trail, and that's pretty. In, that, that's not typical. The average price is about two seventy five, two fifty to two seventy five per adult, and then for children pricing, it goes anywhere from one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and fifty dollars, and then kids under five go free. Okay. So uh, we also have family plan pricing too. If they're families, they're four or more people. We have pricing that is less than that uh, as well. It kind of takes us to see if we're coming with a family, we know it's cost prohibitive sometimes, so we've reduced the pricing for that. We also offer military pricing discount. Anybody in the military gets fifteen percent off the events as well. Oh, that's great! So you've already mentioned the the website, but you want to go ahead and go through the all the ways that you can uh, that people can uh, find you guys, maybe contact you. I, I know you're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Google Plus, as well as uh, your own website. Sure. So you can find all those just by going to JeepJamboreeUSA.com. and on our homepage, they can click on our Twitter account or our Facebook account, YouTube or Google Plus, and they can sign up that way to stay in touch with us. And we provide some really fun but also useful information to people on those uh, social media outlets. Uh, I think last month, Super Winch sponsored the three hidden dangers of switching your winch from uh, cable to synthetic rope. The month before that was Rebel Off-Road highlighting three mistakes people make when they modify their Jeep 4x4. So we try to provide information out there for people so they can actually they provide value to them get better their experience in this process as they move forward. That's great. Well, Pierce, I really appreciate your time tonight. And uh, as usual, I, I usually keep people well over the 30-minute mark. I hope that wasn't too bad. I know you're uh, you're trying to nurse a cold there. And uh, kudos on the no coughing. Well, I had <laughs> a gallon of cough syrup I drank earlier. So well, I'm going to probably pass out here right after this. And, and you didn't doze off, too. So that's great. So it was a win-win. No, no, not yet. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the time, Trey. Thank you very much. And uh, if there's any other value we can provide to you guys in the future, please let us know. Well, we'll probably take you up on uh, the uh, uh, future impressions of the 2014 uh, Jeep Cherokee. All right, we'll do it. Then we'll, we'll count us in. Thank you. 
Hey, are those big aftermarket tires kicking up road spray? Is the side of your rig getting covered with mud and all kinds of other debris? Now get the protection and coverage you're looking for from the new generation of Napier Precision Products Fender Flares. Made from 3 inch thermo-molded ABS plastic, they're the strongest aftermarket flare available. Ditch those factory flares and get the rugged appearance you're looking for with the new generation of Fender Flares from Napier Precision Products. Available for all years of Cherokees in two-door and four-door and now compatible with cut and fold rear corners. For more information, go to NapierPrecisionProducts.com.